Greetings and salutations. This is the way. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. I am your father. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. And that's all I have to say about that. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome. This is Into the Movie Talk. My name is Allie. And today's episode is going to be a pretty fun one. Uh, I actually have a guest with me today, and his name is Jonathan. Welcome, Jonathan. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, he does have a podcast, by the way. His uh, podcast is actually called Hung Up on Theme Parks. Um, How about you talk to us for a little bit about what it's about? Oh, yeah. Um, Very shortly, my podcast, like you said, is called Hung Up on Theme Parks, where nerds talk about all things theme park related in the Orlando area. Um, If you couldn't tell, it's it's all about theme parks. I grew up with the theme parks, uh, Disney, originally then moved on to Universal. I sort of like SeaWorld and Busch Gardens, but not as much as Disney Universal. Um, But our podcast basically talks all about that. Rides, shows, events, such as Halloween Horror Nights that I heavily focus my podcast on, especially during the the fall season, the Halloween season. And yeah, if I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you also have some sort of relation to theme parks, considering that Ali's YouTube has a lot of theme park content on there. So if you're interested in anything like that, please check us out. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, really anywhere you can find your uh, podcast. I'm also on YouTube at Hung Up on Theme Parks, where I can also throw the podcast on there, as well as some vlogs and other things I decide to do from time to time. And in addition, one more thing, I also talk a little bit about movies, strangely enough, where I created a series with my good friend Christy from Orlando Decoded. You can find her at orlandodecoded.com. Her blog is amazing, everything about Orlando. But anyways, uh, we're doing a series called We're Bad Horror Fans, where we watch horror movies for the first time and give our reviews on them, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if they were actually scary. And in addition to that, in relation to theme parks, we talk about if those horror movies will make good Horror Nights houses. We talk about you know, each scene and see if scenes themselves would work great in a Horror Nights format. We also talk about movies that we already, that have already become Horror Nights houses, such as we're going to in the future, Killer Counts from Outer Space or Beetlejuice. We'd say if watching these movies impacted how we thought about the house or if the house translated the movie quite well or if it didn't. So yeah, if you're interested in any of that, uh, make sure to check us out at Hung Up on Theme Parks and literally every podcasting platform imaginable. Yeah, he's great, guys. Please subscribe, like, rate. He's great. He's great. I know I I invited you because, (laughs) oh, no problem. Um, I invited you because um, on Twitter, we've talked a lot about previous movies. So I'm like, you know what, let me invite him because I feel like this is going to be a really interesting uh, podcast because today we're actually going to talk about Wonder Woman uh, 1984. So before anything, uh, if you guys have not seen this movie, get out of here and watch it because it's on HBO Max. So it's, you know, you can watch it in your house and also movie theaters because this is, this is a big one. This is a really fun one. Um, you know, we are going to talk 
about spoilers, the plot, everything. So if you don't want to be spoiled, get out of here, watch it, and here we go. So before anything, um, so where did you watch it? Did you watch it on HBO Max, Jonathan? I was originally planning to watch it in a theater, but I decided after seeing some of the criticism that the film was getting, you know, before watching the movie, you know, all Twitter and, you know, all of these different movie reviewing platforms have stated, oh, this actually isn't that good, or man, it was a letdown. And I said, oh, well, a theater costs, you know, 12 bucks, however much a ticket, and HBO Max is free because we got it. Uh, well, it's not free, but we have the, we have, the platform already so we could just watch it basically for free so we decided all right well we'll watch the movie first on hbo max and if it's really good then we'll go out to the theater so i, I watched it uh, at home yeah and i think hbo max is what 14 dollars a month so it's you know I, I may be wrong off by a number or two but um it's almost the same as going to the movie theater and you're also safe um but it was really shocking today, like, you know, well, in this past week, because at first the critics were saying it was great. It was an amazing movie. They, they just praised it, just like the very first one. It and gave then, us hope. Exactly. Hope for 2020. Hope, exa <laughs> that, was the, that was the quote they were using, hope for 2020. And then the movie came out. I hadn't watched it. I actually worked on Christmas Day. So I was, you know, um, working, but the reviews, at first it started off mixed. But then <laughs> it was mostly negative. Yes, he's pointing down. He's pointing down. He's like, nope, they're bad. And that, that scared us. I even saw like Jonathan tweet like, please <laughs> don't let it disappoint me. I think I tweeted exactly, um, if Wonder Woman 84 is bad, I will scream. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal if I screamed yet or not. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, that's too early for that. But, you know, um, let's put the reviews on the side for a second, because it's, we were going to record this Saturday, which was yesterday, which is going to be two days ago when this releases. But we're recording on Sunday, and it's actually, you know, it worked out perfectly because box office numbers came in, HBO Max numbers came in, and let me just say this, it was a success for Warner Brothers. Absolutely. Like, to be more specific, Warner Brothers, well, the movie actually made domestically on, in the box office $17.5 million. And I have my notes here from five days ago. It was, expected to make 10 million that's i mean going from 10 million to 17.5 is ridiculously great for it them made more than half its projected amount exactly so which is incredible i i wasn't expecting it especially in christmas day like man christmas weekend so it worked out for them. And not just that, that is not the only success that they had. Almost half of the HBO Max subscribers watched the movie on Christmas Day, the same day that it came out. That's pretty, that's amazing. Oh yeah. I know it's a tradition for a lot of families, 
um, especially families who don't celebrate Christmas, to go to a theater because that's one of the, the rare things that are open on Christmas Day. And so I, I, I guess HBO Max has almost become the theater in a sense, in a strange way. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys heard my last podcast, but every, everyone was mad. Like all directors were mad at HBO Max. And let me tell you something, Warner Brothers proved them wrong. They were like, people are going to watch, just just hold on and see. Um, I mean, I don't know the number of subscribers that they have or how much they increased at least this week or the last month. But still, having almost half of its subscribers on the very first day, it's ridiculously well. The fact that it showed that the box office does not suffer from HBO Max, I, I think is, I think, the best uh, exactly. consequence of this situation. And that directors now will be more inclined to want to put their movies on streaming services, at least for right now, at least for the pandemic. I, I'm not sure if this will last or not, but that's a whole different conversation. They'll be more inclined to put it on streaming because they know that, A, if you put it in the theaters, as shown with Tenet, you're not going to make as much money as you would. Even Wonder Woman didn't make as much money as it should have in normal circumstances. Right. But when you separate that, when you put the movie in the theater and in HBO Max, you almost double your profits. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure how much money HBO Max made because they didn't, I don't think they disclosed that. But it obviously was a lot. It was a lot of money. And so they almost, I'm guessing they probably doubled the profits they were supposed to make if they just put it out in the theater. Yeah, and I mean, you know it's good when it's Sunday, guys. Today's Sunday. Two, three days after it's released, they already said they're going to make a Wonder Woman 3. Yep. It was fast-tracked with yep. Patty Jenkins as the director. Mm-hmm. Patty Jenkins is back. Gal Gadot obviously is back. It hasn't been a week. It's greenlit. It's fast-tracked. It's, it's happening. That's how good the numbers were. Which is funny because I heard a lot of people saying, you know, after like the first day that Wonder Woman came out, they said, oh, Patty Jenkins, she's done. She's done. She doesn't know. She doesn't understand Wonder Woman. She doesn't understand these movies. This has been a failure. There's no way they're going to uh, make another one with her in it, at least. And the numbers, even if the movie, you know, we're going to talk about it later, wasn't a critical success, it made money. It made lots of money. And what do studios care the most about? They care the most about money. And so that's one reason that Patty Jenkins is, is... on for next year, I'm guessing. And another reason is we were talking about, about a little bit before the podcast is that Gal Gadot has stated, I think I'm saying her name right, I'm sorry if I'm not, that she won't do the next movie, she won't do Wonder Woman 3 if Patty isn't a part of it. And so they're almost glued together in, Wonder, in Warner Brothers, even if they wanted to get rid of her, I don't think they had a choice in the matter. Nope. She's like either Patty Jenkins is in or I'm out. And I mean, Patty Jenkins, we're going to get more into the movie later, like in, in just a little bit. But I think she proved herself after the first one. Like, I think, you know, regardless of this one, I think she got the first one perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, she can learn from this. Um, 
we're we're gonna talk about what went wrong in this one that are you know what it's fixable this like all of these problems are fixable for the next one yep and there's nothing so long lasting that no matter what you do it will be tarnished it will be ruined sort of like like a uh, Star Wars scenario, you know, recent movies. Yeah, you can yell at me, but like Last Jedi, the for the third movie, no matter your opinions on it, was suffered because they had to basically backtrack. They had to go back on everything the Last Jedi set up, and because of that, the third one was not a box office failure, even though it should have made a lot more than it did. Mm-hmm. But it was a critical failure, and even fans of the movie said, "Why was this whole movie just?" fixing everything in the last one. This movie, this, no matter what, you know, our opinions are, are, are on it, it didn't have any of those consequences. There are, there's nothing that, like you said, can't be fixed um, and it won't ruin the next movie because of it. Yeah, like this has zero effect on what's coming next. So I, that's why I'm not mad that she's coming back. Even no. though, you know, yeah. I, I recognize that there were plenty of flaws here. But I'm happy she's back. And I'm happy because at the end of the day, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins have like this really good chemistry mm-hmm. when they're working together. They're, they're going to do a Cleopatra movie <laughs> like together. So I am happy. But let's put that all aside and let's get to what we think. Because that's, that's what you guys are here for, what we think. But you guys needed to know all of that. Like, you know, we can't look at the negatives all the time. This is, this is pretty great for Wonder Woman. This is pretty great for Warner Brothers. This is actually pretty great for movie theaters. And I'm happy. I think that's what makes me the happiest. Like, movie theaters, even though they're taking all necessary precaution, which means limiting capacity, and people don't want to go to a movie theater because they don't feel safe, at least this helps them a, a little bit. Absolutely, because no matter no matter your thoughts on whether they're safe or not, you know, that's obviously all based on preference, um, personal preference, if you feel comfortable in them or not. The bottom line is you don't want them to die because once everything goes back to normal, you want to be able to go inside of a movie theater. You want the option, even if maybe you, you, you prefer streaming, there's always going to be that movie, Avengers, you know, or you know, sort of like Wonder Woman 84, um, something big and bombastic that was made for theater. Avatar, for example, um, those sequels they're going to make whenever those happen, they're made for movie theaters. Big experiences that you're completely immersed, loud sound systems, giant screens. And when you don't have that, those movies, not only are they not going to be able to be made anymore because they'll just, they won't be as impactful as they would be and probably won't be even worth it, you know, the amount of money it takes to make those giant, you know, scenes and whatnot. But also, I, I don't know, it just, you won't, you'll be sad that it's gone if it does go away. So don't be rooting for it to fail because that's just, that's just dumb. Don't do that. Yeah, I had, I had people before, I know we, we want to get into this, but before I had people like right under a tweet, I was celebrating this and people were kind of sort of, say this is actually not great and I'm like I mean honestly I have my thoughts I have my opinion as you know I'm not going to movie theater because I don't feel safe there are people who actually take all precautions put on a face mask say social distance and they feel safe but 
let's not root for people to fail. Let's not root. You know, I actually, the movie theater I used to go to before this whole thing is actually a small business. It's not, I I did not go to AMC. I actually went to a small, a small movie theater, small business. And I'm just thinking about them right now. And it's a movie theater that has like a comic book store right next to it. It's great. So I think we're ready to get into yeah, let's do this. The, the, the hot tea that we have today. So oh boy. what I'm going to ask, ask you first, Jonathan, what are your overall thoughts? What did you like? Let's, let's do this. What did you like about this movie? There's a lot of things in this movie that I like and I don't like. Um, but in terms of what I like is the question you asked. I guess the first thing I'll talk about is the Dreamstone. If you guys haven't seen the movie and you're just watching this without, you know, you don't care about spoilers, this stone has a power where you touch it and you can make a wish, only one wish, and this wish will take something away from you. So, for example, Wonder Woman wishes to have Steve Trevor back. That's no surprise. You see him in the trailers. Um, But what gets taken away are her powers, and they slowly get taken away more and more and more throughout the movie before they're almost eventually gone, uh, in a sense. And I really enjoyed the use of this Dreamstone because it's a hard thing to tackle. You know, being able to do literally anything in a movie is usually never a good idea. Usually you want to limit it to sort of like the genie where you only have three things you can do. Um, But honestly, they handled it really well and I enjoyed it in the movie. I was always intrigued by it. I always liked the things they did with it, especially the villain Maxwell, which will, he had the most impressive first wish I've ever seen in these types of movies. Uh, And I thought it was handled really well. The rules for it, not so much, but we'll talk about that later. But in terms of its implementation in the story, I never felt like it was too goofy, like a lot of people were saying. I thought it was a really smart idea, especially for a character like Wonder Woman, who is rooted in magic, you know, in magic from the gods. And it makes sense that her movie would have a type of object like this that could essentially destroy the world because of course it does. It's a comic book movie. Yeah. So I'll get to that, the Dreamstone <laughs> in just a second. Um, but I think what I liked about this movie was, you know, obviously Gal Gadot. She's, she's oh, Wonder yeah. Woman. She was born to be Wonder Woman. Are you kidding me? um the the chemistry which we'll get to on later later on the chemistry with steve trevor and um diana that to me is one of the best parts of the movie um and i also i wonder if that's because i'm gonna introduce one second i wonder if that's because it was already established in wonder woman one that they didn't have to do much in this one to get you to believe that they were uh, like connected with each other because mm-hmm. since they already set it up, they didn't have to deal with all that. They could they could sort of just jump right into whatever they were doing, and you totally believe it. Yeah, yeah, and like I, I just also like how they're a team, like how they're. Oh yeah. But okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, because if I, if you let me talk, I'll be like I'll I'll get deep into it. And I another <laughs> thing I loved is weird i mean not weirdly but i find it weird that people didn't like it kristen wig 
I loved her here because I love seeing her in a different, because I, I love SNL. I love Bridesmaids. It's actually one of my favorite comedies. So seeing her like be a villain here, I love that. The Dreamstone, I think I would say I liked it halfway through the movie. Hmm. Not the beginning. Oh. So let's get into the things I don't like. Oh, that's what, hold up, hold up one second. I have, I have a couple more yeah. pros I, before we dive in, because we're going to dive into mm-hmm. a lot of negative stuff with this movie, sadly. <laughs> um, but I think one of my favorite things from the movie is the villain. I loved Pedro Pascal's performance of Maxwell. Heck yeah. He was entertaining. Um, he... He was a con artist. You could see that in his, you know, in his mannerisms. I've, I've met people who are basically act like con artists before. So he did a really good job of portraying that. But that's not what I was most impressed with. I was impressed with the emotion he put into the role and the layers this con artist had. Um, you know, you see, especially moving on throughout the movie, you see that he was nothing. He had nothing. He, mm-hmm. he cheated his way through life. And he was just working towards one goal to become something that his son can idolize, you know, popular, rich, powerful, you know, all of those things. And you could see the emotion in his eyes when he's not that yet. And he's talking to his son. He's like, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying, I'm trying to be this. I want you to respect me. And I really appreciate that because that's not talked about a lot in films that uh, I, I guess at least for me, that we always strive to be the best that we can be, right? We always want to be something greater than we actually are. But the lesson in this movie, for him at least, is that you don't need to be greater than who you are. You just need to be yourself. That's the real hero. That's the real you. And I really respected that. I don't see a lot of that. At least I don't remember a lot of those scenes in other movies. So I appreciate that they used him to express that theme. So I loved him as a, as the villain. I second that. I, I feel like anything Pedro Pascal is in, I love. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, he's great. I love you. I, I don't know if you're ever going to watch this <laughs> or hear this, but okay. Um, but yeah, let's get into the sad truth. Um, starting with the Dreamstone. Oh, uh, I know. Like, I like the fact that you said that that you like it's a tricky way to not make it seem it, it, it it's hard to not make it seem goofy. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time, and then it's funny because I was watching it with my dad a third time, and he said the same thing that I thought the very first time. I remember saying, saying Wait a minute this is all about a wish and a stone. And then <laughs> that's what I thought. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. This, this is goofy. This is like terrible. So I, like the first half, I was hating the idea of the Dreamstone. I hated it. And then I was watching it with my dad and he said the same thing. He's like, this is all about a stone that makes wishes like a genie in a bottle. And then I'm like, yeah, but you got to wait. And he's like, and he literally just rolled his eyes. Like he was like, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. Cause he just finished it. I'll ask him about it later. 
So I think I, I hated that at the very, like, it just, like, in a way it seemed lazy, but then I thought about it more and it's like, this is trying to get Maxwell Lord to be Maxwell Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it, yeah. So that was one thing. I think it was a brilliant idea because mm-hmm. my favorite part about the original Wonder Woman movie wasn't the action. A lot of it was the characters, but it mostly was the themes it had before Ares destroyed it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hated that part. But anyways, <laughs> it was the themes. And so this wishing stone, as, as goofy as it is in the characters, make sure to let the audience know that they know it's stupid. They know it's goofy. They wish on it because as a joke, you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, oh, you know what? Let's just see if this works. It's not going to because it's a stupid rock. Then it happens to work. Um, but I like that this directly plays in with themes of cheating and you have to, you have to earn what you have. You can't just skip, you know, you can't go from A to Z immediately and Mm -hmm. that stone was very easy to um, tie in with the theme because what's the easiest way to cheat oh just wish it i wish i was popular there you go instantly and i enjoyed that but moving on from that in terms of the dreamstone itself what i talked about in terms of its rules its rules were funky because it kept changing the first rule was that if you use the Dreamstone, you take away or something is taken away that is your most precious. They make sure to say this, and even Steve um, talks about how, oh, your powers are your most precious thing. So mm-hmm. they state it. So this isn't just like a throwaway line. So I said, okay, what's most precious to Maxwell Lord? His son. That isn't even a question. His son is most precious, but instead the consequence is him almost dying or his health deteriorating and i'm like that's that's not most precious what i don't get how this i don't get that at all and a lot of times when people make wishes they don't have consequences like the kid made a wish right the kid made a wish that he um that his father achieved greatness right he achieved greatness Nothing happened to the kid directly. Whatever it was depended on what the father did. So nothing actually happened to the kid. I'm like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Uh, so some of the rules were very wonky. Um, that's, and So yeah. that's another thing I didn't like about it. It's the fact that the movie was never clear mm-hmm. as to how it worked. And I feel like, I, like, again, like the very first time I was like, this is goofy this is stupid like and then like it took me a while to understand it like at the very end you know um which is why like i i mean we'll get to the plot later but that's why like it wasn't clear the script wasn't clear they they just didn't try and make us understand right away Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i wanted to say continue (laughs) i i will say that he did achieve greatness. The wish worked. Uh, like, if he didn't stop himself, he would have won. He would have achieved everything and not have lost at all. So, in that sense, the wish did come full circle. It wasn't just a throwaway line. Like, mm-hmm. he would have won. Um, so, I, I enjoyed that. And I guess you might say that the child lost his father in terms of his father was coming so popular and so great that he never spent any time with him. 
but I don't think he did to begin with. So I don't understand how that's a consequence because he never did spend time with him. Like he, so I want, I don't understand how this works. Like it's the, clear, <laughs> it's clear. They don't want to like it. That's, that's one thing I, I don't like about this movie. They don't, there's some things that they just leave it like for us to think about, but this is not mm-hmm. the way to do it. I don't know. Here, <laughs> like, you know, um, what else? What else didn't you like about the movie? Um, the plot. And that's a very vague, uh, vague thing to say, but it's true. The mm-hmm. plot had so many things stuffed inside of it that when the emotional moments tried to hit, um, for instance, Steve eventually having to leave Diana and Diana having to make that choice or the ending scene where it's this big dramatic moment you're supposed to feel for Wonder Woman, you're supposed to feel for Maxwell Lord. And it's very hard to, because there was so many things thrown into this plot at once that you didn't get enough time with any of the characters, even Maxwell. You have Cheetah, who was just seemed like she was thrown in the movie by accident. Not by accident, but by force that the studio said, we need Cheetah because she's a villain that everyone recognizes from Wonder Woman, and not because she actually had an important part of the story. Mm-hmm. They just needed her in there for merchandise. Um, you have Steve Trevor, which is fine. You know, I'm guessing that was the original point of the movie. Um, you have Maxwell Lord. You have a bunch of wishes from tons of people around the world. You have all you know humanity reacting to the wishes. You have so many things thrown into this one movie that it's sort of like a Spider-Man 3, where there's so much stuff you don't essentially care for anything that's actually happening. Because I saw myself watching scenes that I was supposed to feel things, and I said, wow, I'm not feeling anything. This is making me sad. I'm not feeling anything from this scene. How is that possible? This is a Wonder Woman movie. I love the first one. I don't get it. And it took me a while thinking before I realized why exactly that was. Yeah. I feel like I would disagree with you on the emotional scenes, though. I took... (laughs) I'll show you later, and I I might even post it on Twitter. By the way, my Twitter handle is Talk with Allie. Just saying. Um, <laughs> I have a picture of myself crying for a second time in this movie. I had one for The Mandalorian. I have one for this one. I feel like the only scenes that got me were, you know, anything with well, not anything, but two specific scenes with Diana and Steve Trevor. The jet scene and his leaving? Yes. Yes. Those got to me. Um, the and jet maybe- scene, I will admit, the jet scene did hit for me, but probably not in the way that most people are expecting. Yeah. And no, that yeah. I've, always, I've always wanted an invisible jet in Wonder Woman. And I thought it was too stupid for them to accomplish, especially since in the first one, they never even touched it. So I said, okay, they're never going to do it. I'm just, I, I pushed it to the back of my head because I didn't want to get disappointed. Mm-hmm. And so the minute it started setting up and he got in the jet, I'm like, all right, he's getting in a jet. And then all of a sudden one was like, I have this power to make things invisible. I'm like, oh my God. And then it actually happened. And I jumped up from my couch. I'm like, yes, God dang it. They did it. It was, it was such a happy moment for me. And that was the emotion right there. Wasn't really the Steve stuff afterwards. It was actually getting the jet. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, even though it was so incredibly stupid at the same time. <laughs> but we didn't think of it. We didn't think of it because the scene was great. And like, I feel like I, I love how we're supposed to be talking about stuff we don't like, but we're, here we are. Um, I know, but, right? <laughs> yeah. Whoops. 
Um, but you know, it like I feel like it's a mix of like the invisible jet, the the fireworks. I I love it like loved it specifically when he went like higher and you could see the colors in the clouds. I was like, oh man. And it was like emotional because then you also get to think like, man, like Steve Trevor never got to experience like this 4th of July this way, seeing this. And he's like seeing everything, which throughout the movie- He never got I, to fly. He never got to fly with Wonder Woman in his jet or in his, where, you know, in his plane. Mm-hmm. And that's like his one thing. Like that's mm-hmm. his main thing in life is flying. So now he's finally able to not only see everything from above, you know, this new world for him, but also he's able to fly with his loved one for the first and final time. Yep. Yep. Okay, but um, what's it called? And then the the end, I mean, the ending, even though we will talk about it later, um, there was something I did not like about the ending between uh, Diana and Steve Trevor, but it still got to me. <laughs> I still cried like a baby. And I, like, I was watching it with my sister and her boyfriend. They both looked at me and I'm like, don't look at me. I'm crying. Like, there's tears in my eyes. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that works. And I wouldn't be shocked if they, I'm gonna... yeah. Uh, I'm going to actually backtrack on that because I think one of the things that didn't work with Steve and Wonder Woman specifically mm-hmm. was his actual introduction. Yeah. The way they introduced him was so forced. It was so awkward. The fact that like he just says his line all of a sudden, oh, it's, it's Steve. And the whole time I was going, what? What's going on? Who is they this should've... man? Wait, it's, it's mm-hmm. Steve Trevor? That doesn't make any sense. And instead of actually being emotionally impacted in the scene, you know, Wonder Woman seeing her love in the first time in how many years, you know, something that she never thought would be a thing, you know, ever again. Her own, she even stated in the movie, this is the one thing that she cares about, she loves. And he's finally back. And I feel nothing because I'm just confused. It was, it, they should have worked on that harder. I feel like it was, I mean, I kind of knew it because of the trailer. Like I already, so when I saw someone else's face, I'm like, this is how they bring him back? Him being someone else? Like, I already knew before he even changed his, like, he, before he even said his lines because he was dressed that way. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to do this. And they did. Yep. The introduction, for me, it didn't work either. But I wonder if that was on purpose. Because this is, in the, in the sense, a lie, right? He's not, like, he's real, but he's not, he shouldn't be here. It should feel awkward. It should feel... Like, why, why is this happening? And I wonder if that was the point of you not feeling anything. Like, if at, from a directorial standpoint, if that was the message they wanted to push, that this should feel weird. This should feel awkward. It shouldn't fit right, right? It shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening the way it is. I understand that. I, I could sort of get if that was what she was going for. But that, that's also me thinking way too hard into it because I took one film class. I'm like, oh, I'm going to divulge into the inner thinkings of the director. Like, well, no, it was probably just a badly filmed scene. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it, I think it was badly filmed. And if that was their intention, it's not going to hit with people, like with the audience. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, you know, 
at least us, like we get deep into thinking about this stuff, but like people, which is like the majority of the people go to the movie theater and they're going to be like, that's huh? it. Like, this is how you do it. Um, but yeah, um, the ending, we'll get to the ending, but the emotional part of it though, the emotional part of like, um, you know, Diana and, and Steve Trevor, like, um, saying goodbye to each other that hit that worked for a lot of people um but we'll get to why i didn't like it later on but so let's get into the actual plot so um if you guys haven't seen it which i really hope all of you have seen it it's on hbo max guys it's the same price as a movie theater like come on so anyways (laughs) So pretty much what this uh, movie is about is pretty, it's just, it's, it's more of, uh, you know, staying true to yourself and never taking the, 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 um, easy short. Yeah. So they bring in this dream stone, right? Uh, because after a, a, a mall heist, for, and they find this stone that they stole. The FBI went into uh, Diana's work, where that's where they introduce um, Barbara Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, can you study this? The FBI wants you to study this. And she studies it. They make and it's <sighs> Okay, if you guys haven't seen it, this is going to sound stupid. It's a stone. It's called the dream stone. Where you make a wish and it comes true. That's it. Yep. You hold it, you say, I wish for coffee. You get coffee in your hand the next five seconds. That's it. Diana makes her wish. She wants Steve Trevor to come back. Uh, then Maxwell Lord is actually interested in that stone. Right? So he steals it. He becomes the dream stone. The smartest first wish you could ever make with these that- types of movies. I agree with that. That was like, that is genius. Especially for Maxwell Lord, for his character, that was genius to have him be like the Dreamstone. It makes him a threat rather than the object, Mm -hmm. which is very, very important for this type of villain that doesn't have any physical strength. All he has is his mind and his wit. And the fact that now he has these powers, he's sort of like a Lex Luthor in a sense that now you should be afraid of him now. Like, he might not be able to beat you in a fist fight, but he'll be able to think his way out of his, out of situations. Exactly. So not even, you know, it took Wonder Woman to, like, take, not take him down, but to stop him, like, two, and, two hours and 30 minutes, right? Um, yep. They found a way, but he did it. And so this was his way to take control over everything and to take control over everyone. You know, give everyone their wish, as Jonathan said earlier, give everyone their wish, but you got to do something for me, or there's consequences to that wish. Um, That is the long story short of what's happening, then the ending, uh, we'll talk about the ending later, we'll explain it later. What are your thoughts on the plot? And you can get deep into this now. Yep. 
Oh, oh, no. oh, my thoughts on the plot itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, like, like I said before, too much stuff, and it didn't, I don't think it flowed well for me uh, because there was too much stuff. That was just a big problem for me. I didn't have a particular problem with the stone itself. Mm-hmm. If there was stupid stuff, but it was a good movie, I would have 100% overlooked the stupid stuff, but obviously it's hard to overlook when everything else is is not, as good or not as shiny. Um, I feel like the film being set in the 80s was dumb and not in terms of it not playing any part in the story really whatsoever. It was just the setting, even though they tried to make the first scene is literally like 80s, like they go into the Star Court Mall, literally the Star Court Mall from Stranger Things. I'm pretty sure it's the same exact mall they dressed up uh, differently. And mm-hmm. they have these 80s arcade machines and everyone's dressed up all colorful and 80s. And it's this beautiful mall scene. But the 80s doesn't continue throughout the rest of the story. And I'm going, why, why was this set in the 80s? It was marketing. That's why it was set in the 80s. Yeah. It wasn't because Patty Jenkins thought this was an important plot point like World War I. No, it's just 80s because it sells toys. And you colors. Yeah. The, the 80s was like a really, a lot of stuff happened in the 80s. They could have at mm-hmm. least used, like, a historical event. You know, I was like, well, maybe the Cold War. But even then, they just mentioned Russia for, like, two seconds. They're going to nuke us and because we have nukes more than anyone now. And they saw that as a threat. So that's it. So Yeah, uh, that even was though, really disappointing. Yeah, like, they could have actually, you know, I love the fact that they used historical events for the uh, first Wonder Woman, they could have used that here. And like mm-hmm. the 80s, I get, I listen, I get it. It's visually amazing. I love the 80s, like, you know, the fashion. I loved uh, Gal Gadot's like um, outfits, you know, but it didn't do anything for it, as you said. But yeah, yeah, it just yeah, it just seemed like marketing for them because like that's every single Wonder Woman eighty four poster, her behind a, a synth wave of colors and bright lights and that's not really the movie at all. Like I didn't see like after the Star Court Mall scene, I didn't see much color and and uh, you know light colors or purples or yellows or whatever. I didn't see much of that after the Star Court Mall scene. So I'm like. Why are you pushing this if that's obviously not the tone of the movie? And like, you know, like I said before, money. This is, yeah. you know, everyone loves Stranger Things. Let's do it. Um, especially since this was supposed to come out. When was it supposed to come out? In like the summer, I think? 20, so it was supposed to come out first before anything, December 2019. Then it got pushed oh, to the summer. Wow. And then it got pushed to October, November. December. See, and that makes so much sense because that that's close to I think Stranger Things season three's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah, because we we had the house for Halloween Horror Nights, haha, <laughs> Halloween yep. Horror Nights, what's up? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was the year they had Halloween Horror Nights, Stranger Things. So that was the the year that it was supposed to be released. Then they pushed so they were it piggybacking for- on it. Mm-hmm. I think they did reshoots. I think that's why, like, they did small reshoots. But um, what my problem is with this movie is 
I remember the like well I was watching it the first time I was actually watching it on my computer um mm-hmm. I saw I was 40 minutes in and literally nothing big has happened yet super slow super, super slow, slow. even though I did enjoy you know the introductions I did enjoy um I mean, I, in a way I was entertained by it, but at the same time, I'm like, how is, how has it been 40 minutes? And I still haven't seen like an action scene. I haven't seen, even though that's what Patty Jenkins wanted to do. Patty Jenkins wanted to be like, I want it to be less actiony, but I'm like, this is a superhero movie. You have Wonder Woman. How can it be, you know, how can you take out action from it? You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little counterpoint here is that yeah. I agree with you, but not for that reason. Mm-hmm. I don't think the lack of action scenes was a problem because I mean, it did have an, it had the mall scene, you know, but that was a yeah. big action scene in the beginning. Um, and then it, then it, like you said, it stalls after that. But my problem isn't that there's a lack of action. Cause usually I like that more when you can dive more into the characters rather than having to worry about what a hundred things are blowing up around them. But it was that the things that were involving the characters, the plot lines that they were introducing, weren't particularly entertaining. I mean, they were interesting, but nothing kept me interested enough to not want to look at my phone. And that's the problem. It's not the lack of action, which mm-hmm. I understand why you think that. Yeah. But it's more of the lack of entertainment, I guess is a better way to put it. I mean, it's so... For me, it's that like part of it is the action, but also it's, I mean, I wouldn't say that either. I wouldn't say like it's, it, it wasn't entertaining. Like I was actually entertained with Cheetah's introduction, Maxwell Lord's introduction and everything. But I was like, how have we not gotten to like the actual problem yet? We're 40 minutes in, like. It's all set up. Exactly. Like this, it, 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 you know, I think 40 minutes in, either i don't know if it was the party scene um i don't remember what it was but i think we literally just got steve trevor or we were about to i'll double double check after but I, I, that's one thing that was one thing then as we mentioned earlier there were a lot of stuff that were not explained very well throughout the movie mm-hmm like and you sort of covered with The Rock. Exactly. Like The Rock, I finally understood it at the end. And it wasn't supposed to be like a, this is how it works, surprise kind of thing at the end. It, mm-hmm. You were like, they made it in order for us to understand it throughout the movie, but it didn't work. No. They, they didn't explain and even the rules, And even the rules they established, uh, if you think about it for five seconds, they don't make sense. Yeah. So those are, I mean, for the, pro- for the plot itself, those are the problems I have. Um, yeah. Again, sometimes the script fell off. Like, I don't know, the acting, I feel like they, um, I don't know, they picked random actors sometimes and the acting was terrible. That's like low-key something that I, it, it annoyed me, but um, I don't know. But yes, so... We already talked about Diana and Steve Trevor. We were supposed to talk about that after, but we got through it because they're just great together. 
they're they're amazing their chemistry is great we had to like get it out of the way before anything so let's talk about maxwell lord yes <sighs> he that i mean i feel like you summed it up pretty well um but you can you can go ahead and 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 elaborate on what you said before well, well, to elaborate, like not only is the theme itself of like, you need to be yourself, stop trying to be something you're not, you know, you don't need to be powerful and have all the money and have, you know, all the, I guess, all the, be popular in order to, uh, to, in order to be loved in mm -hmm. a sense. That's a, I mean, that also sort of is Cheetah's arc in a way, or, or, or you know, she goes down the wrong path, but that's Cheetah's arc where she didn't need to be sexy or uh, strong or be exactly like Diana. She just needed to be Barbara. And when she decided to continue going on the path of having all these powers and getting everything she always wanted, she lost who she really was. And that's also another, you know, strong theme it's basically the same thing we had with maxwell just be yourself that's the best thing you can be um and so i love that but also just once again like his performance uh mm -hmm. captivating whenever he was on the screen i was completely focused and entertained pedro pascal was amazing even with uh not a mask on he was amazing and he like he was the highlight of the film for me you know even Com compared to Wonder Woman and Steve and, you know, all these, uh, you know, amazing things. He was, in my opinion, the, probably the best part of the movie. And I love that it didn't kill him off. That was another good thing. I'm like, oh, I want to see this character again. I'm excited to see where they take him, if he learns his lesson or if he falls back in the same trap that he was in this movie. So, yeah, I, I really, really loved his character and his relationship with his son that grounded him, like we said before. I don't need to retread on it, but very, very powerful. I love the fact that they made him learn his lesson at the end. Yeah, that it wasn't just kill it, him. Exactly. And, like, I love the fact that he, like, what made him learn his lesson was his son. Mm -hmm. Like, the love for his son. Like, he is, again, he's, he was a con man. That's wrong. Don't do it. But, um, but again, like, how do, I don't know how to explain it that, yeah, like he was still human and he did things, even though they were wrong for, you know, the right reasons. He wanted to be the greatest. He also wanted to be the greatest for his son. You know, um, he mm -hmm. was, if you see at the very beginning when he's talking about, you know, to his son you see that he's like, we, we're, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to get you a pool. I'm going to get you, but uh, you know, Rome doesn't uh, get built in a day. Um, so, you know, even though he's a villain, he's not a good guy. He, you know, he, and, and I loved, I, again, Pedro Pascal. It was Pedro Pascal day, national day on Friday. <laughs> so um, he's great. He was, I, I feel like nothing he does makes me like, oh, he's doing terrible in it. Like, he was great. He was, he, I think he was the best actor in, in this whole movie, like, this whole movie, I feel like. Um, but, yeah, 
that's pretty much all I have to say about him. I feel like there's nothing really negative to say about the character that much, even though, you know, the problems are with the plot itself, not with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it was genius that it, they made him uh, be the stone itself. Oh, yeah. Um, that was because, you know, if you read the comics, like, you're trying to figure out how they were going to, you know, do his character, and they finally did it this way. Um, so let's get into Cheetah. But I want to get into it this way. There was, I was going to leave this for the end, but I might as well uh, read it now. It's actually a Q&A question from at HHN Fog. Thank you for the question, by the way. Um, so he wrote, personally, I saw Barbara's development into a villain too fast paced, similar to uh, that of Electro in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Do you believe her character's fast-paced turn to selfishness and evil was justified? If not, how would you have wanted it done? So when we get to Cheetah, oh, you wanted to say something? Oh, yes. I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts on this. Yeah, um, go for it. <laughs> I, I agree with you from talking to, you know, H.H. and Fogg in terms of it being fast-paced. Arguably everything in this movie is incredibly fast-paced and not for good reasons. Um, and I think it could have worked. I think Cheetah, the, her transformation to Cheetah could have worked if she was with Wonder Woman the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I think if she was friends, if she was fighting alongside her because she goes like, Wonder Woman, I have powers. What is this? And then they start connecting and they do the fighting. And then she realizes, you know, while watching Wonder Woman lose everything that she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to go back to that. I feel like that would have worked so much better and it would have explained in the end why she turned into, you know, the main, uh, one of the second baddie of the film. It would have worked so much, it would have flowed a lot better. The fact that you sort of skip scenes, like you have a lot of scenes of Barbara and then it skips like a quarter of the movie and then you go back to Barbara and she's like, you know what, I'm evil now. I'm like, no, that, I, that's not going to cut it for me. I'm like, she has some scenes of development, but not enough for me to really respect her as one of Wonder Woman's biggest villains of all time. And yeah, I, I guess Electro is a great comparison. It just went incredibly fast. And since you couldn't dive deep into the reasons, you understood the reasons, but they weren't developed as much as they should have been. Her actually becoming the cheetah, which well, that was stupid in and of itself, the way he, like, she wished to be the apex predator or something, that was dumb. Um, mm-hmm. They could have just easily had her transform into the cheetah as a consequence of the wish itself. But I digress. It made her you know, final transformation into the villain we all know and love way less impactful as it should have. I don't care about the CGI. I don't care about, because that's a lot of people were complaining about the way she looked. I don't care about that. I just care about Mm -hmm. her character itself. And in the end, it wasn't terrible, but it was rushed. And I hope they develop her a lot more in future movies because, uh, spoiler alert, I'm not, I don't, we're all in spoilers. (laughs) She doesn't renounce her wish. So she's still going to be the cheetah. Maybe not look like the cheetah yet, but she's still going to have the powers. And so in the, in future movies, hopefully they, develop her more and go more into her mind and give more reasons on why she might want to go back on becoming the full-on cheetah that she was at the end of Wonder Woman 84. So 
that's what I think, uh, that's how I feel about that question. <laughs> <laughs> I love the ending. That's how I feel. Perfect. Well, but, <laughs> but, okay, Cheetah, I feel like this is the one I have the most to say about because Kristen Wiig wasn't bad. If no, anything, absolutely. she had my, my favorite scene in the whole movie was actually when she was pushing off the guy. I don't know mm -hmm. why, because it was like you saw her transform into a villain. And like when, if you, again, if you know Kristen Wiig, she is all about comedy. So seeing her in that serious, like, I'm a villain and I'm ready to attack you and I want to attack you. And like, I love attacking you. What is going on? I love seeing that. It's intimidating. Exactly. And it's like, Kristen Wiig, you go. And I feel like she doesn't get enough credit for it. And it's no, because of the fact that I agree with you. Like you can literally take this character out and it's the same exact, like nothing changes mm -hmm. when it comes to the plot. And that is, that is, that sucks for me because I loved, like, I love her, you know, like I want to be um, you know, just like Diana, I want to be strong. And then, but again, is it fast? <laughs> to answer the question, it, when I watched this movie, I thought, yes, it was pretty, um, fast paced, but then I started thinking about it more. And I watched it. I don't know why it took me the second time to realize she didn't renounce her wish. I think it was because like when you're watching the movie, the first time you, you're seeing her stare into the sunset or the sunrise. And it's like kind of like a hope kind of feeling or like a, Just you know, like everything. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> hope. Um, but so I was like, oh, then everything's going back to normal. And but then I saw it the second time and I'm like, wait a minute. She never renounced her wish. And then Patty Jenkins actually is teasing that she might bring her back for, uh, for the third movie. And if that's true, then maybe I wouldn't say it was fast-tracked, but more it was introduced. I, I but, understand your thinking. I really understand hmm. your thinking. And she wasn't like, I, I agree. She wasn't the main villain. She was obviously a side villain. She was something that this movie was supposed to be the, or a part of it was supposed to be the origin of right. Cheetah. And they used this stone in order to get to the goal of becoming, you know, what everyone knows as love is the Cheetah character. I just think that since you could take her scenes out and the movie would be the same. And since she really had nothing to do with the overall plot, itself that her scene didn't have much impact and she was missing from a lot of the movie mm -hmm. like a ton of the movie and because of that and because she didn't have a lot of time to develop with wonder woman her main villain and they try to just get you to accept that they're friends i'm like i saw one scene of them having like coffee or, or something i'm like this doesn't mean they're friends right now i'm just getting the the sense that they're acquaintances and wonder woman is doing this because she feels bad for her yeah you know no, but that's what I, makes I, me so mad about this whole thing like mm -hmm. uh, that's why i'm so mad that they just did this to this character she's a great character and i think 
They took the plot from from one of the very first comics where Cheetah was introduced, but it wasn't actually Barbara. It was she had another name. That it was she her the reason she turned into Cheetah was because she was jealous of of um Wonder Woman, which I'm like, okay, I mean they didn't use Barbara Minerva's like plot from the comics, but they used this one and it worked. I mean quotation marks it worked but it didn't at the same time it could have worked there we Mm -hmm. go it could have worked it had ideas and i understood what they were going for and i can't say that they failed because i understood what they were implying Mm -hmm. but it wasn't given a lot of time to breathe so that's why i think because of those cuts and that you have so much of the movie that isn't her, you don't have a lot of time to experience what she's going through. I guess there's different definitions of what you think is like rushed or, you know, like fast paced. Yeah. Or technically was it like paced fast? Because the, all, every scene with her was slow, but it was cut so much that you felt you missed so much of her story that it's almost like blips. So I guess that way you could sort of say fast pace where yeah. you're traveling through her story incredibly quickly and you're missing parts. And that's why it's almost like teleporting from one area to another. Yeah, pretty much. But <sighs> this frustrates me because I think this yeah, was the, the character that I was looking forward to the most. And Kristen they failed Wade, me. She was great. She, what she had and, you know, what the directors gave her what whatever you know the script gave her she did a wonderful job she really mm-hmm. pulled it off for all the haters who didn't think a comedian could or mainly a comedian could pull off such a you know evil character such a intimidating character she did and she played the role beautifully i just wish that she had more time and i hope yeah. that in the next one she will this is i feel like this whole as we said before this is a whole this is a learning lesson for Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it kind of sucks that people are not really talking about Kristen Wiig's performance because of the fact that the character was so flawed when it comes to when it came to developing her character. Mm-hmm. But I just hope that Patty Jenkins brings Kristen Wiig back and actually fixes like and 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 you know i mean they can't really fix what was done you know they can just improve it and and make us forget that this this happened tracked yeah so (sighs) that is i actually would love to talk about like how you responded in saying that um that people overlook the performance because of the way the character was portrayed i think you could arguably say the same thing for gal gadot in this movie in terms of her main, um, her, I, I don't know, her main uh, conflict. Yes. What's her main conflict in this movie? Her main conflict is that she knows that Steve Trevor's going to have to go. She mm-hmm. knows that, but she doesn't want him to go. She wants to hold on to him. The story never made me feel like she really did want to hold on to him. Like she usually just like, whenever that conversation came up, she shut it down real quick. Like there was no, there was no way to actually talk through it or think it through or think about her thought process. And in the end, when she, like she says to Steve, I don't want to let you go. I, I'm not going to let you go. Steve says like, I already did. Or like, I already let myself go. And I'm like, 
I should be feeling something here, but I never got to dive deep into what Wonder Woman was her, her thoughts on letting Steve go or saving the world. You know, she had two choices. We never got to really dive into that. And because of it, a lot of the things from the movie itself, like Cheetah telling Wonder Woman, like, oh, you won't let him go, or you're, you're popular and you're, you're, you know, whatever, didn't hit as well because I didn't really feel that. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't really explored. Her performance is amazing. You know, a lot of her scenes are great, but in terms of the main conflict she has in the story, it doesn't really hit. So you can honestly say the same thing about Kristen Wiig as you can mm-hmm. say about Gal Gadot, but everyone looks over Gal Gadot because she was in the first Wonder Woman and she was great in the first Wonder Woman. And she's great here, but they overlook it because she was so good in the first movie. And right. Kristen Wiig has a lot more to prove herself. I, I don't get why people are overlooking that major fact that the main conflict was not handled well at all. I mean, she kind of sort of, when you're saying like, um, what's it called that she said, like, no, like, this is out of the question. Let's not do this yet. It's because like, she explains it later. She says, you know, I, I work hard every day and this and that, and this is the one thing I want. And I don't want to take it away from, like, she kind of in a way explains it. Um, I feel it's more like that. It's more explaining rather than showing with, like, you know, a like lot of. Like acting and emotion, maybe? Acting and emotion. Because Galvin, once again, she does a, a fantastic performance, especially when Steve goes. You could feel, like, I, I couldn't feel, but you could see the heartbreak in her eyes. But everything before that, I didn't, I don't know, it, they didn't flesh it out enough. And okay. I feel like if they fleshed it out more, like like the scenes you're tell you're saying, you know, whatever, it's almost telling the audience rather than showing the audience. Right. You know what I mean? Because someone dealing with this, you know, you would you would see them almost break down almost completely, you know, having to face this choice, you know, face this terrible choice that this is what she always wanted and she knows she's gonna have to give it away. And she keeps, you know, pushing it down deep inside herself. But you know, it'd be breaking her. But I never really saw that until the end. And by that point, you know, by that point, it's over. You know it's over. So why should I care as much as I, you know, the movie wanted me to? I think, okay, the reason why it hit hard for me, though, is because maybe you see it that way. But the way I saw it was... I got used to them being a team and connecting and they, I think they got used to each other. So that's why when she was like, I, I don't, you're not like losing you. is not an option. Like period. We, so I think that's why for me it hit harder. Cause I was like finally enjoying like what it should be, like what the perfect couple looks like and what, you know, a couple should be a team and should. So Let's actually start getting into the ending. So since we're talking about that already, there's one thing I noticed about this one scene, which I cried, I not once, but twice. Um, it, was an emo- it was an emotional scene, heartbreaking scene when, when Trevor says that. But I was talking to you before the podcast and I told you this and something I don't think anyone has mentioned before. This is the very... So the both endings from Wonder Woman twenty seven, like the year tw- that released in twenty seventeen, and now both endings had the very same formula. So it, you know, 
uh, Steve Trevor says, I, in the first movie, I gotta go save the world. Like, uh, I can save today, but you can save whatever. And then this time, he does the same thing. He's like, you gotta do the right thing, Diana. I gotta go. And then both times, she's like, no. Or, or well, she's not listening in the first scene, but it's still heartbreaking. He leaves, or she leaves, and then she's, like, struggling. She's in pain. She, you know, becomes stronger. She um, flies. She flies in this one. <laughs> um, and then Which she... Which is a very good scene, by the way. I, I enjoyed I, that they set it up, you know, Steve Trevor was telling her about flight and how it works, and it's a feeling, you know. We just got to feel it and, you know, accept it, and that's essentially what she was doing. She was accepting Steve Trevor's death. She mm -hmm. was finally free of the ball and chain that was around her ankle all her life since, um, since World War I. And now she's finally free of him in her heart and she could finally go out and soar and be essentially be on air. She's herself now. She isn't tied to anyone else. And I really enjoyed that, you know, that metaphor in a sense for her flying. I, um, yes. but Oh, you can continue. It's fine. <laughs> oh, that, I mean, that's about it for that. But I will say that that was impactful for mm -hmm. me. That really hit for me. And yeah, I think that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I love that so much, especially like right after. And then she's just like kind of feeling it and she's smiling to herself. I love that. I love mm -hmm. that. But, um, but it's, again, it's the same formula then she goes she stops the villain then she has this one speech and then it's you know either yeah. the villain gets destroyed or in this case it was different like maxwell lord was like oh crap my son i renounced my wish like it felt literally like the same ending to me only oh, it, is. it was 1984 <laughs> it was like, absolutely the same ending and i i I felt that as well, honestly. It was it was almost the same thing, except they didn't have an Aries. They didn't have some magical thing that was causing it. Because even though the stone was technically causing it all, it was the people that renounced their wish rather than the stone being broken or rather than Maxwell being killed. It was yeah. them solving the problem rather than Wonder Woman solving it for them. And that really um, impacted impacted me a lot more than probably the first movie's ending. Uh, funny enough, this movie had a way better ending than the first movie, uh, in a sense. But you're right, a lot of it is the same thing, the same formula. And yeah. I don't know why they did that, to be I don't know honest. how it got approved. I don't know how they did not read the script and say, didn't this happen in the first movie? Didn't this, isn't this how it got resolved in the first movie? It had to be Pat Jenkins going, the, she, she recently told, talked about the studio making her add the big Aries battle in at the end. This could be her going, you know what? This is my ending, just with a different character. No big battle, <laughs> no big, they're just, gonna, they're just gonna renounce their wish and it's gonna be the people. This is how I wanted the first movie as like an act mm -hmm. of defiance. Well, one thing though, I loved, and you can, people might disagree with me. I loved the fight between Wonder Woman and Cheetah. I loved it. Oh, yeah. That was badass, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I, but, yeah. Mm -hmm. The CGI, like everyone's saying, is bad. It's bad CGI, but I, I usually expect that 
from these types of movies. You know, it's very rarely you get a Thanos or a rocket raccoon. You usually get these terrible CGI monster type creatures. And Cheetah, while she looked pretty bad, I guess, considering, you know, how far CGI has gotten, her movements were so fluid and strong and she acted like a cheetah and Wonder Woman was being destroyed by her. This metal that man, that all of man, like there's another subplot with, I, I think her, what was her name? What was the main, the other woman's name? Which one? Uh, the, the Linda Carter woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, our, our, oh my God. I said it before the podcast. All right. All right. Um, that one let's i'll i'll tell that you one whoever whoever <laughs> linda carter played um and this metal that was man could not break she just ripped through it she's ripping through this metal and it's just epic moment one of them takes off her wings and it's this awesome fight scene um and i really really enjoyed it because i felt scared for wonder woman because cheetah showed that she is about as powerful as a fully powered up wonder woman and that makes me excited for movies in the future where she's hopefully going to be the main threat, which she should be. So I, I really enjoyed that scene just from the fluidity of the movements alone. Yeah. I'm trying to, and I, one thing while I keep looking this up, um, the CG, when it comes to the CGI, when they did the close up, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. No. Like, when they did the face close-up, I was like, that's actually pretty good. But, you know, the fighting scene reminded me of Cats. But, I mean, I don't, I'm not complaining that much about the CGI. I am a little bit mad about her color changes. I don't know if it's just because of the lighting, but it looked like she was more gray rather than, like, a cheetah, you know, with the spots in the... And I'm like, no, I want, I want that version. I don't want this. I want, like, the super comic-accurate, you know... Like mm -hmm. cheetah, like looks like a cheetah rather than another breed of cheetah. I want no, I want the original cheetah colors, which they hinted at throughout the entire movie with Wonder Woman's heels in the beginning, um, certain uh, uh, rugs that Maxwell had in his office, so certain things you know all around that were colored like a normal cheetah. And so when she finally becomes cheetah, I'm like, all right, they were hinting towards this. Here we go, great character. What? Like, why did you do this? Oh, I think it was, I mean, honestly, I think the reason they did that was because of the CGI. I feel like they would have said, oh no, this is bad. Let's make it as dark as possible. Like, that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. That, I mean, I thought of it. I literally thought of that. And then I'm like, well, what if they did it? What if they did it like colorful? Like, nah, that would have been bad. I feel like that would have been. So I think Worse this was. Yeah, we're probably worse. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think anything's worse than cats. But <laughs> um, but I mean, the ending. Um. Uh, when when she when she saw the guy, that mm -hmm. Steve Trevor, I li literally thought, okay, so she's probably gonna ask him out. She's gonna do it. And that's going to hurt me and I'm going to punch her in the face if she does. And then she didn't. She sort of like implied it. Like, I'll see you. What was it? Like, I'll see you around or something. Yeah. Like, uh, or was it him? It was one of those. But I feel yeah. like, see, that, that's one thing I don't get. We're, we're, we're skipping over the big, 
big scene, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Yeah, but sorry. <laughs> I understand that she got over Steve Trevor, and yeah, like she finally went jumped over the hurdle. But the minute you see the man that was playing Steve Trevor, I'd like, I'd freak. You know what I mean? I'd be like, whoa, like, whoa, no, not again, not again. I just got over you. And I would not be able to like, she kept composure. She was laughing and smiling. I'm like, there's, I don't, I don't, I don't care how powerful you are. There's no way anyone will be able to do that after dealing with that experience you just dealt with. Have it be a different guy. And that was a nice guy. Don't be this, happens to be the same exact person Steve Trevor was inhabiting i don't i wonder what happened to his life did he just like die for like three days and then come back alive oh okay what happened um but but anyways uh, i don't know why they picked him because i understand the significance of it the symbolism that she's finally getting over him but there's no way she'd be able to react that way towards basically who was playing her lover the entire movie now here's one question which i might feel dumb for not realizing or Either that or the movie did a terrible job at. Did the guy, so Steve Trevor, did he look like the guy the entire time, but she only saw him as him? Wonder Woman said that, like, you know, you look like someone to everyone else, but all I can see is you because she's, she's, her heart is strong and she knows that's Steve Trevor. And so for the sake of the audience, we right. see um, Chris, Chris Pine played as him, even though everyone else sees him as a random guy, which are, creates another question. Like, why did the soul decide to take this random guy's life away and turn him into Steve Trevor? What happened to this guy? Like, why would you do that? Why didn't you just bring him back? Like, just normally, why did it have to be some random stranger? No one would recognize Steve Trevor because, you know, it was he was back in World War One. No one knows who that who Steve Trevor was. So right. I don't understand the problem why they had to create to take some another magic man. loophole. Yeah, like what happened to him? Like <laughs> I want to see his story of waking up. Like whoa, you know? Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god, Just, uh, that that's cruel movie. Oh my goodness. Well, that's okay. So it was kind of. I know she said like, oh, like, yeah, but all I see is you. I, I remember that clearly. But then I was like, but does she actually just see him that way? Does everyone see? But okay, thank you for letting me know because I was kind of feeling dumb about it. I was like, uh. well, once again, it's implied because she probably still see like physically sees them as the man, but her heart sees him as Chris Pine. Exactly. So it's. It's just for the sake of the audience and for the sake of paying Chris Pine uh, to help market the film. Which makes the entire introduction to Steve Trevor even weirder. Like, even like, yep. I don't know. But, okay, so, ooh, okay, so, back to the Maxwell finale thing. Yes, yes, I have the, something I really want to talk about with this Yes. Scene, but I let you know. Um... It was very, even though I loved Pedro Pascal's performance in this, I think Pedro Pascal was the best part of this whole scene. At the very same time, it felt very anticlimactic for me. I could see that. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it was like the fact that there was, I don't, I don't think it was the fact that there was like barely any action in it or I don't know what it was, but I'm like, it just, 
felt Can I take a mixed. guess? Can I take hmm? a guess? Yeah, go for it. Everyone in the world besides Cheetah happened to renounce their wish. Like they all decided it was good. There was not one person in the world that decided to keep it besides Cheetah as far as we know. That might that be part dumbest, of it. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like some people got, like they got consequences, but sometimes the, like Cheetah, the consequences, they didn't even notice them because the benefits were so great for them at least. And so a lot of people would probably go, no, I want to keep this. I, why would I want to renounce my wish? Happens everyone in the entire world goes, I renounce my wish. It's all okay. It's all better. The nukes decide to disappear, which creates a whole nother problem that America and you know Russia or whoever else was firing nukes still saw the nukes in the air. So they right. know whoever fired them had intent. So they would just get other nukes that didn't come from the wish and fire again, like, because they know they want to fire them. So that's another problem. Like, if they didn't erase their memory, they completely just, the, the, the nukes disappeared, which creates a whole nother plot hole. How does that work? Um, it's like everything so, came in a big, you know, solved up, wrapped in a big bow. And the conflict itself wasn't even that impactful because it was played mostly for comedy. Some guy, I wish for a farm, but all I, I, I happened to all these cows were on this random plot of land. How yeah. silly is this? I'm like, this isn't a consequence. This is humor. Like, I, Wonder Woman was so impactful, the first one, because the consequences were real consequences. You saw Wonder Woman see people in the war get their limbs taken off and, you know, bullet wounds and die and death and destruction and the consequences were real. This, the consequences were funny. Like there was, there, I felt nothing. So when it actually wrapped up and everyone renounced their wish, I didn't care. I cared, the only person I cared for was Maxwell. I wanted him to succeed, but everyone else, the actual big world ending phenomenon didn't feel world ending. I just felt they, you know, every, I agree with everything you just said. Because I literally felt like that ending, even though it was better than the first movie, it felt lazy. It felt lazy, like the conclusion as to how to, you know, how to get rid of the Dreamstone. It, it's just like they were like, okay, so let's just have everyone renounce their wish, <laughs> period. Um, like I get Maxwell doing it. I don't get most everyone else. Maybe, you know what, what would have been better if he just did it himself because he is the dreamstone after all and end it all. Yep. Or he could have like used the most ultimate wish, almost all of his power, almost killed himself and said, you know what? I wish for all the wishes that have been made on this dreamstone to be, to be disappeared, to be renounced. And that would have solved everything, almost killing him, mm -hmm. and, you know, with all of that power, you know, sort of like Thanos in the, or Iron Man with the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, that's, you're not only just wishing for one thing, you're wishing for everyone's thing, and that almost killed, I feel like that would have been impactful, and I also think Gal Gadot's performance in this was not good, in this scene particularly, because she didn't seem like she had a lot of emotion at all, it looked like she was looking at a TV screen, which arguably was the point 
but still it was so flat and she just said the lines i didn't feel like she felt what she was saying was true and i have a i have an opinion one more one more thing before I, you know, no, you're, I, fine, you're fine you're fine <laughs> is that what if she had to get rid of steve trevor there and so you feel the emotion or she had to make the choice therefore encouraging maxwell to make the choice or, or therefore you know producing emotion in that scene itself right and so that was that was the main conflict that it wasn't maxwell in particular even though it was but it was her ending her conflict the main conflict of the movie which was steve trevor and wonder woman so talking about that i think the one time in the whole speech at the end that she, you know, that I actually felt emotion was when she was like, you know, I, I want him, um, paraphrasing, uh, paraphrasing, I want him back. And she was like, that was and then she was like, but he's gone. And that like that, I feel like that made the whole speech good, even though the rest, I just didn't feel like, you know, it was, eh. but, oh no. Okay. But it should have been full on emotion. I, I heavily think it should have been that's how she's expressing the emotions of everyone, you know, not just stating them, expressing them to everyone. So the entire time she should have been in that state of distraught rather than, I mean, she's Wonder Woman, she's powerful, but man, emotions get to her. Yeah. They really get to her. And that would have been the perfect finale. I, I think in my eyes, that's that's what would have wrapped it all in a nice little bow. Yeah, but I, I think like that one, like that specific line, I feel like that made it for me. Weirdly, like because she was that. like, yeah, like she was like, yes, like I want him more than anything, but he's gone, and like the tear, I feel like also the tear, I like that got to me too. But. You know, overall, the scene to me was like a 50-50. 50-50. Like, again, like everything we have said about like how they could have done that differently and for it to actually, we literally came up with it in two seconds. In two seconds, like two other solutions that would have been, would have made more sense. Yeah. But they didn't. I don't know how they, you know how they were just like okay sure let's go go along with it fine i mean it wouldn't shock me if this was a decision from this guy joss whedon whedon is that how you say it that'd be funny if it was joss whedon uh no it was jeff johns jeff johns who that was way (laughs) off guys i'm sorry jeff johns Um, he has come back from justice league to to make another average movie no (laughs) (laughs) sorry Uh, Oh my God! I I don't I'm not, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm mixing everyone's name. I'm like not doing okay. Anyways, the point is, so the ending. Well, let's just say this. How? My question to you is, how would you rate this movie? What rating would you give it? See, if I'm rating it from just a movie, just a movie, not putting any emotions on the first one, probably a six like just a like a partially above average you know 
a six or a seven, somewhere in that range. Maybe a six point five is probably more fair. It's not something like it's something I probably want to go back and watch again and to mm -hmm. see if it hits and not have you know things in my mind and whatnot um, and know what's coming. But I know that it's probably not going to get better, uh, or at least not substantially better than my first viewing, and that that really hurts for me because grading it, you know based on my love of the first movie, a five or even like a 4.5 because the first movie was so good. It was so good. And the fact that this movie stooped to like got, went at, went to amazing to average that big of a jump. I, I knew the sequel probably wasn't gonna be good. It'd be as good as the first one. That's usually with sequels, but it <laughs> had such a big jump in between that it hurt my heart especially because there were so many scenes in here I loved, um, especially the post credit scene and the, the invisible jet scene that it, it really hurt to see one of my favorite DCEU characters get dealt with this, have to deal with, be put in this type of movie. And it, yeah. it, like I said on Twitter, everyone has been saying that this movie's bad, garbage, disgusting, oh, awful, worst movie ever, rating it in terms of Suicide Squad and Justice League, which, let's, let's be clear, Suicide Squad is okay, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's good. Justice League is not good. Let's be mm -hmm. clear on that. Um, but in the end, it's not bad. It's disappointing. And yes. that's why... That's why this movie upsets me so much. Because like we said, we had so many good moments in it. There were so many good scenes in it. So many things we liked. We spent a lot of this episode that was, honestly, we were planning on ranting about it for the entire episode, but we spent a lot of it talking about the good things, which mm -hmm. I, I'm happy to dive into that aspect of the movie and to sort of open my brain up a little bit. This was very nice to have. But I guess that makes it even more disappointing that it had potential. And it had potential for the first movie, and it just didn't didn't get anywhere. Yeah, I feel okay before before I give my rating. I want to say something though. This movie had zero connection to any of like Justice League or so you can literally skip this movie. Well, up, 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 up. What was forgetting up, up, up? about the magic score they used in the finale, which I'm How gonna I'm gonna talk about a little that? bit. How did we? Don't miss worry, that? I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here to tell you about it, which a lot of people already know. I thought it was like first one, but no, I wasn't. There was so many people, other people who knew this. And apparently it was a news story like a month before the movie came out that they were going to use the score. I, I completely missed it. Um, but in the scene where Maxwell ha is in the final scene, he's rising. He's saying, why should I give up my power? I'm perfect. I'm, you know, all powerful. I can rule the world. You start hearing the, the notes of Da, 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 da. And you're like, oh my God, beautiful lie. And they play the exact score they used from Batman versus Superman. I know everyone's favorite movie, right? Um, they use the exact score they use in the beginning with Bruce Wayne's origin. And the reason this is so impactful, um, I actually had to do some digging because I had to, I forgot what the quotes of the of the movie were. You know, obviously it has been a long time since I watched it but I'm going to read them right now. These are the quotes, the beginning of Batman versus Superman, where Bruce Wayne is saying his dialogue when this exact music is playing. There was a time above, a time before. There were perfect things, diamond absolutes, things fall, things on earth, 
and what falls is fallen. In the dream, they took me to the light, a beautiful lie. Um, there were, he's referring to, in terms of they, he's referring to the bats. They had the symbolic scene, which a lot of people didn't like, which I don't get why, where the bats were basically taking him up to heaven, taking him to the light, thinking, that's him thinking, that the bat suit itself was going to solve his problems. This is gonna solve his inner problems with his knowing that his parents are dead, his inner turmoil, his mental, you know, he had a lot, Batman has a lot of mental problems. The fact that he dresses up as a bat is, um, is an indication of that. And so he thought this suit would solve everything and it'd be perfect, everything would be back to normal and it'd be great. It doesn't, obviously, he has lots of problems as that's basically the main story of Batman versus Superman, of Batman learning his humanity again. And so Maxwell is sort of in the same situation. He thought that this wishing stone, the dream stone, would solve all of his problems. And in a way it does, he has power. He has everything he always wanted in a sense, but that didn't solve his problems inside. He's always wanting more. He's always wanting to be best. He's always wanting for his son to approve of him. And even when he gets so much power, he still thinks he's not enough. And that's something that no amount of power can fix. And so that dreamstone was essentially his bat suit, a beautiful lie. The lie seems like it's, it's beautiful and it will solve all your problems when in the real world. And that's for every lie in this movie, like Steve Trevor. But in the end, you have to learn to accept it yourself and learn from, you know, not use the lie as a crutch and to grow yourself. And that was the main point of that. And I love the contrast between Maxwell and Batman um, in this scene, particularly. And the fact that the song was just really, really darn cool. And I love hearing that song again. It was a nice, oh, they put this in there. So I think that worked perfectly. And it was a nice reference to a movie that doesn't get a lot of love. Oops. But um, yeah, I... <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and it was brilliant on a cinematic level, on a film level, on just a thinking level um, of the director saying, you know what, this belongs here, <laughs> and exact parallel. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Best use of music in this movie. Yes. By far. You, you literally messaged me. You were like, <laughs> this song is in here, and I'm like, I missed it. I was freaking out because I was like, I missed it. But then I watched it. I'm like, man, that was like, that was great. That was great. But I also, I think this was actually one of my favorite scores from Hans Zimmer. Mm -hmm. I love the intro, like the intro and like the ending was the very same music. Like, <laughs> you see? very upbeat, very, um, very cheesy, but that was sort of the point. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I like to hum, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I actually loved it, and like I watched it for a third time today, and like the music like gave me like I don't know why it gave me life, and then throughout the movie, like they made the score like very extra at the same time, but in a good way too. Like you notice it, you notice like oh the score, mm -hmm. oh. So I think it was one of his best works. Um. <laughs> I would argue one that of, one versus, of. Okay, all right. I'd argue that Batman versus. <laughs> I know one of, but I argue that probably in the DCEU, Batman versus Superman is his best. 
Yeah. Which a lot of people are going to disagree with me because, oh, Batman versus Superman, bleh, all garbage, Martha. But the score <laughs> is, Martha. the score is unbelievable. And that's what made it so compelling to watch in a movie theater setting. The score was bombastic. It was loud and big sound, sound, you know, speakers everywhere. And so it enthralled you in the movie. It helped elevate scenes that weren't so good. So music is a very important part with all movies. And it could, it could honestly help make or break a film depending. And if this movie didn't have the music it had, all the scenes that were sort of, we're thinking lighter on, we're saying, you know what, that was pretty good, would probably fall flat, to be completely yeah. honest. Yeah, I honestly, music, the score, m- can make or break the movie and this like for batman versus superman oh my god we're now we're talking about another movie but it's fine it's okay it has to do with wonder woman for batman versus superman like even though it was a bad movie like this is one of the those memorable things the score itself Mm -hmm. um and and it matched perfectly with the tone of the movie whether you like the tone of the movie or not Mm -hmm. and it was great. And then this movie, like, he, he took it to, you know, he just made it more upbeat and more, you know, uh, a happier tone. And I loved it. Um, but yes. Yes, pretty much. Um, so getting back to it, this movie mm-hmm. has, like, zero connections to, um, to like, justice league or batman versus superman other than the score but like as in the the plot itself nothing you gotta imagine you know because batman um and batman versus superman didn't know who wonder woman was till the end right you Mm -hmm. gotta imagine he's like remember that point in time in 1984 when literally the whole world went into chaos for like a day (laughs) and everyone got what they wanted like remember that like that I remember, like, that must have been something else. Like, I'd be a little suspicious on that particular day, you know? Yeah. That, oh, my. How does, like, one go from that day to another and then just act as if nothing happened? No, no you know fine. what? That's, that's, it's a movie. It's fiction. It's okay. Sorry. I'm thinking of it too much now. My rating for this one. So I'm going to give, like, I'm going to say this. The first impression, I would have given a 6 out of 10. When I watched it the second time, I would have given it a 7.5. Okay. It's like, it's a passing grade, but, you know, barely at the same time, because I enjoyed it more the second time, because I was telling Jonathan before the podcast, at least me, when I watched this uh, the very first time, my first impression, I was like looking at every single detail like literally and i you know i've already said like all the comments i had in my head like why why is this that doesn't make sense what is going on here i don't understand and then you get to the ending and you're like oh okay well that 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 was terrible and then when i watched it the second time i went in knowing kind of sort of what was happening and i also like kind of took my critic you know uh, glasses off and it was really entertaining. It was really fun. Pretty, I mean, I still thought like, man, like they took 40 minutes again. <laughs> um, 
but you don't really think of like the dream stone like my problem with the dream stone itself i already know what was you know you know how it works so i didn't have a problem with it then so i actually enjoyed it more it's weird i know normally it will work the opposite way the more you watch it the less you like it which is my problem with rise of skywalker and my dad's problem with rise of skywalker but that's another mm-hmm. topic um but here it worked the complete opposite i'm actually liking it more <laughs> I wonder if that's because we don't have, at least right now, the option. Well, we do have the option, but we chose not to, to see this in a theater. And in a theater, everything's amplified. Everything, you know, your, your thoughts, your feelings, how everything affects you. The theater is a magical experience that will never, ever be replaced. And so in a home theater, you know, watching it from your computer or watching it from your TV, you don't really get immersed that much, as much as you would in a the theater. So you're, you're pointing out a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing the second time you watched it, it wasn't on the computer. It was on the TV. It was on the big TV. And, and what- so, therefore, you mm-hmm. were able to get more immersed compared to the computer. So exactly. I don't think it's a sense of um, just how movies are in general for you. I think, uh, I'm guessing, it's a sense of the platform you watched it on. Yeah. And, like, the, the, here's the thing. I was actually here because I got out of work. It was pretty late. It was Christmas Day. I was like this. I'm actually, <laughs> if you can't see me, this is a podcast. I'm getting really close to the computer. I was like that. I was like, I need to see every single thing. I cannot miss anything. My eyes are open. I drank coffee that night. I, I remember <laughs> drinking coffee that night, getting out of work. And I, so then the next day, what I did was I turned on the TV, the TV's big, turned off the lights like half of my house had all the lights off so I could literally Mm -hmm. feel like I'm in the movie theater and it's all dark and I actually I don't know if that made the difference because at the same time it's still not a movie theater but at the same time it's it's like the movie theater feel yeah it was more I enjoyed it more so that goes to my question very last question do you think um Having it on streaming can ruin, like, is it better to go, like, okay, let me rephrase it. Ha ha. Um, is this a good idea for HBO Max to do this? Um, does it ruin? So you can answer both of them in one if you want or in two. Mm-hmm. Um, does it ruin the experience of the movie having it on the streaming service. Okay, so that the the act of having it on a streaming service doesn't impact me in any way because I could mm-hmm. choose both options if I wanted to. But in terms of like me watching it right now on the streaming service, is it better to watch it in a theater? Yes, because watching it on the streaming service itself, like we said before, you're not getting as immersed. You're not, nothing's, you know, nothing super loud, nothing super big and visual. You're not really able to focus as much as you would in a movie theater. So it's going to impact your experience. Absolutely. Uh, That's just how, that's how it's going to work. But I don't think the physical act of them having it on streaming is a problem because I mean, as we saw before with the box office numbers, it doesn't affect money um, with theaters whatsoever. And if I wanted to, I could just go to a theater and get the same experience. I just, this time I chose to do it from, from HBO Max. Uh, so I don't think the act of them having on streaming service itself is a problem 
yet. I don't know how that will go when the pandemic's over. I think once it's over, there won't be a need to do these things uh, on streaming services at all, unless it's like a Netflix original or something like that. Um, But as of now, this is the perfect option. And them releasing it only in theaters would, you'd probably get the 16, you know, 16, what was it, 16 million they got or 16 billion, however much they made. Yeah. Um, But they wouldn't make that sweet, sweet HBO Max money. (laughs) So it's a win-win for them to release it. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it's not, listen, it's not the same as a movie theater. But this, we're in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. People don't want to go to a movie theater. They don't feel safe. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been told people, like, if you go to a movie theater, you're going to die. Like, period. Cool. I mean, not cool. That's not cool. That's not what I mean. No. Um, that's, but that's, yeah. definitely not what I mean. Uh, I always say cool after I made a point. But um, I think this was the best option for HBO Max, especially since this movie specifically has been pushed back so many times. I mean, it didn't beat the record for New Mutants, but it it did get pushed. And if it's going to keep getting pushed, and this is something people don't understand. If it gets pushed, if it's kept on a shelf, it loses money. Yeah. So this was their not best only, option. Not only does it lose money, but it gets more and more irrelevant because like we said before, the eighties was supposed to coincide with stranger things that was built around that. It would have got a lot more hype. It would have gotten a lot more synergy mm-hmm. with that property. And now that it's out of its time, I think we're still eighties, but we're not as much as we were. Yeah. Um, it feels awkward in a sense. Like imagine if next age of was 80s again. It'd be like, what? We're done with 80s. We did it. Like, there's no, move on. You that's know, so that's last what year. Sort of felt like. Except, well, two years ago, technically. Both that is like um, so two years ago. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, think about all these movies that got pushed. A lot of them were, you know, I'm guessing the majority of them were built around um, the times, built around the fads of the time. And the more they're taking out of context, the more they're pushed, the more irrelevant they will be, the more awkward people will see the movies as. And exactly. they just have to get pushed. There's no, there's no way around it. You have to release the movie. And I'm glad Warner Brothers has finally, finally pushed the button and said, you know what? Here you go. All of our movies that we didn't get to release, you're getting them. Yeah, and I'm actually really happy they didn't do the premiere access that Disney Plus did. Yeah, that was especially yeah. with this movie with the reviews right now, that would have been bad. That would have been terrible. But if you guys haven't seen it, if you guys are literally here getting spoiled, <laughs> like with you know, with all the spoilers, watch it. I feel like re- regardless of the reviews. I feel everyone has to watch it because I feel it's a hit or miss. And even if you don't love it, you are going to be happy that you at least got to see the film. They're giving you 30 days to watch this film, something that you can't do at a movie theater. You know, I watched it already three times. And you might enjoy it. You might not enjoy it. But they're at least they're giving you the option to see it at home, you know, and be safe. 
So and in addition, mm-hmm. HBO Max does not is not going to just have Wonder Woman. They're going to have literally every movie on their disposal. And I think that's a reason alone to get the service, let alone for, you know, Wonder Woman, you know, being on there. And this I mean, movie, like we said before, uh, our, our thoughts, isn't bad. This isn't a bad movie. You're probably going to walk out of this saying, I'm glad I watched it. And you're not going to, like, I'm disappointed, but I'm still not like, man, I, I wish I could get those hours back that I want. No, I, like, there are parts in the movie that I really enjoyed. And I think you will, too. Uh, so if you have HBO Max or if you, if you haven't gotten it yet, make sure to get it and check it out because it, even though it's not the best thing in the world, it's 2020, we're not getting much. This is something. Exactly. <laughs> and ignore the reviews. You do your thing. It's not, I listen, it's not that bad. It's not trash. I can tell you that. It's not a trashy movie. No. It's not a bad movie. It's not a horrible, it's not, a, it was you know, even though it had its flaws, it was entertaining. That I can say. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, uh, speaking of like all the movies that they're going to release next year, let's see if Dune releases it. We'll talk about it in another episode because Dennis Villan- Villanueva, whatever his last name is, is being a butthead. But mm-hmm. that is pretty <laughs> much it um, for this podcast. Hold on, so- You're forgetting. Ooh. You're forgetting what the viewers really want. The best scene in the movie. We've forgotten to talk about the best <gasps> scene in the movie. Which one? The post-credit the, scene. The post-credit scene. Oh, my God. Okay, let's take a I'm telling minutes. you. Okay, so <laughs> Cheetah was like, I saw originally that Cheetah, you know, didn't renounce her wish. So the post-credit scene starts, which is a woman walking down a village. I, I forgot where it was, but she's walking down a village. And I'm like, oh, they're going to show that Cheetah's, you know, Cheetah's alive and she's, she's still powerful. And I'm like, she, you know, the person grabbed the, grabbed the pole and I said, yep, it's Cheetah powers. And all of a sudden it turns around, Linda effing Carter just pops <laughs> out of nowhere and I've died. I'm like, oh my God. Wait, and you thought she, it was Cheetah? I thought it was Cheetah because like, it seems so predictable because she had the powers and she was walking. You didn't see her face. I'm like, yeah, they're going to show that Cheetah's going to come back to the next movie. I'm like, oh no, something out of nowhere. I was not expecting whatsoever. Just Linda effing Carter just pops up on the screen. And I'm like, oh my God, she's going to have a big role in these movies. Like finally the original Wonder Woman. I love Gal Gadot. I love Gal Gadot. She's perfect. But you like... Linda Carter started Wonder Woman in terms of film and stuff. Like, she is Wonder Woman to so many people. And the fact that you finally get to see her on the big screen again is just so awesome. And the fact that she goes, oh, well, I've been doing this for a long time. And then she winks at the camera. is so cheesy. That. But I loved it. I loved it so much because they, they knew, they knew, like, who, they knew if people were reacting to the scene that they cared about Linda Carter. So they were just reacting specifically for the fans. Because let's be honest, um, normal people watching this, like, uh, you know, most people watching this aren't gonna know who Linda Carter is. Uh, so just make this, I've said this before that you shouldn't make a movie for the fans, but you can make a post credit scenes for the fans, that's fine. Um, and this was particularly good, uh, just for me, my dad, my family, who we just all jumped out of our seats and, just cheered, like, all right, that made the movie. We're good. We happy, we're happy we saw it. Mission accomplished, 10 out of 10, great movie. And yeah, that was, 
I, I think that's my favorite post credit scene uh, ever. <laughs> it was it was a really you know I I thought it was going to lead to maybe a future film, but um, I love the fact that it was just like a very positive and very like happy post credit scene. I actually thought it was Gal Gadot when I first mm-hmm. saw it. But then she turned around like, oh my God, I'm so happy. And I smiled by myself here. And then I love like uh, the wink. I'm winking if you can't see me. But um, it was a great post credit scene. I first missed it because I was, you know, impatient. And I skipped, like, I thought it was an end credit scene. So I skipped it. I'm like, there's no end credit scene. And then I searched it up. And then I'm like, mid-credit oh and then I went back and then I actually had to wait and then I saw her and I was happy and then I was like that's it but overall this movie is interesting it's it's, yeah (laughs) it's fine it's okay um but that is it for this podcast I feel this is the longest episode but it is totally worth it because we literally cover everything we almost didn't cover the post-credit scene because of me but but we did we did. Now we officially covered everything. There is just so much to talk about this episode. So thank you for listening. If you guys um, listen, thank you so much, Jonathan, for joining me. You know, I love talking to you like through Twitter, through messages. And now we can finally talk like not just to each other, but like to everyone else listening. So thank you for joining me. Um, Once again, thank you for inviting me on. I had such a blast. This turned out really, really, um, really, really well. I, I love, I love doing it. So thank you once again. It was, it was a blast. Of course you are always welcomed here in this podcast. So thank you so much, everyone. Make sure to hit that subscribe button in the podcast. Make sure to rate it. Give me five stars. Um, and yeah, and I'll see you on the very next episode of Into the movie talk. I am Allie. Have an awesome, awesome day.